Welcome to Sustainability Podcast. Our podcast brings you interviews with innovative pioneers, change makers, young leaders, social workers, academicians and industry thought leaders related to the field of sustainable supply chain. Our goal is to provide sustainability professionals, young managers, academicians and anyone who is eager to make a sustainable impact and I'm your host Vishali Beth. Today our guest is Dr. Bhaskar Chatterjee. Dr. Bhaskar Chatterjee is widely acclaimed as the father of corporate social responsibility in India. He was instrumental in framing and issuing the CSR guidelines for public sector enterprises in April 2010. Thereafter, he played a major role in the inclusion of section 135 in the Companies Act and in the framing of the rules thereafter. As the CEO of the Indian Institute of Corporate Affairs, he spearheaded the National Foundation for Corporate Social Responsibility. He has spoken and lectured on the subject of CSR at a very large number of national and international forum over the last 5 years and is acknowledged as the primary force for bringing a new paradigm to the realm of CSR and providing it with an innovative and strategic vision. Dr Chatterjee is also widely acclaimed management practitioner and teacher. He has written and lectured over many years on issue of social and sustainable development, corporate responsibility and human resources. Dr Chatterjee has most recently authored his latest book entitled Sustainable Futures: Imperatives for Managing the Social Agenda. In this book Dr Chatterjee shows how governments corporates and civil society organizations can synergize their efforts to build a whole new paradigm of development that is sustainable humanistic and inclusive so let's welcome Dr Bhaskar Chatterjee to our show and discuss with him his journey into the CSR world in India Dr Chatterjee welcome to sustainability in supply chain Thank you Vaishali. So Dr Chatterjee I would like to know from you what does CSR mean to you? For me CSR means the creation of a system where the private sector can use its unique abilities to contribute to the development agenda of a nation. And when we talk about mandatory corporate social responsibility in India which is a 2% bill how is it working right now well as you would recall the csr law came into effect from the 1st of april 2014 and we have therefore now seen it operating for a little over 5 years in these 5 years there has been a great deal of learning both on the part of the private companies themselves then of the civil society organizations and of course government itself in the beginning this new law was seen as difficult to operate and corporates took some time to understand it fully and to get it in operation but in the passage of these last 5 years we have seen that there is a change in the attitude as well as the working and today i would say with some satisfaction that the law is working well wow and 
you played a key role in drafting CSR provisions. How did companies react to this initially? Well, as may be expected, the companies were none too happy when this idea was first broached. And all of them had this concern that why bring in regulation? They were doing CSR in any case. CSR was nothing new. It had been going on for many years, not just in India, but across the planet. What was the necessity to bring it under legislation? And therefore, they were initially quite uh, adverse to the law itself being passed. As you mentioned, you think there was a need for a law to be there in India regarding CSR practices? The law became necessary from three or four points of view. It is true that CSR is or has been done for a long time. Many companies were doing it of their own volition. The law became necessary for two or three reasons. One was to ensure that CSR was done in a way that was transparent, that other people could also see as to what was being done, and much of it could come into the public domain. Number two, that uh, companies who were doing CSR were doing so for actual social benefit so that the poorer, the disadvantaged, the marginalized could benefit. Three, that CSR was not being done for commercial purposes. It was done for the benefit of society. Four, that there would be an accountability about who was doing CSR, who in the company was responsible for CSR, and lastly, to ensure that CSR was being done in a systematic, scientific, and responsible manner. And as you mentioned about the accountability, and I always feel it is important for CSR provisions to have a concept of accountability and ownership. How you see this working around, coming with the accountability principle? Yes, Vaishali. This is one of the prime motivators for bringing in the law. You see, uh, in a CSR situation in a company, if we keep the accountability and the ownership at the highest level, that is in the board of the company, then what we have is transparent accountability. Mm -hmm. The law therefore provides for a three-member CSR committee. Now, these three members of the CSR committee would all of them be members of the board of the company. Therefore, the best minds of the company would be involved with CSR decision-making on the one hand, and on the other, these three people would also be accountable personally and to the board for the manner in which CSR was being done. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it will automatically lead to your other point about ownership. Because when people become accountable, then they begin to own the program. Then they begin to want to make sure that it succeeds, want to make the program such that there are outcomes and also there are outputs. All of this brings to the company, to its board, and to all its stakeholders, a degree of high involvement in the CSR activity. And this is actually one of the main planks for bringing the law in the first place. 
and um, Dr. Chatterjee, I believe in India and not only in India, but across the world, changing the mindset is the toughest task. So how's your experience with that? <laughs> yes, Vaishali. For all us human beings across the planet, changing the mindset is indeed the toughest task. And uh, the reason, of course, is uh, understandable to all of us. Which is why when we brought in the legislation, and it was called mandatory at the time and still is, we envisioned as policymakers that we should not be harsh in the implementation of the law, at least for the first five years. The idea was to get corporates to understand the law, understand the spirit of the law, understand how it could best be implemented, and then, of course, to begin to understand that there is something to be gained for the company. There's something to be gained in doing good for society. That across the world today, corporates are being held more and more accountable by society at large to ensure that the profits that they make from that very society should be, at least to some extent, plowed back into doing good for that society. And because of this, the mindset change has happened, not just because the law is there, that of course is important, mm -hmm. but across the globe, we see more and more corporate leaders, more and more corporate icons, believing in sustainability, believing in the way the planet is going, believing in what society wants from corporates. True. And this law falls within the spirit of that, that idea. And therefore, we see now very clearly that the mindset change, although slow, it is steady and it is on course. And that is a great development. Absolutely. And now do you see it as a game changer? Maybe it's little more than five years. And what do you believe? Is that really helped this law to get more CSR provisions and projects on board? Believe it or not, Vaishali. The very first PowerPoint presentation that I made on the new law was called CSR, a game changer. Wow. And five years down the line, I hold to that very same opinion that the upper echelons of the corporate world in India have understood that they can now treat the law not as adversity, but as advantage that by doing CSR, they are actually enhancing their brand value, the brand image, the perception of their customers, their stakeholders, their shareholders, and in very real terms, providing them with great inner satisfaction mm -hmm. that out of the profits that they have earned from society, they're using a very small part of it at least to do good for that element of society, which I mentioned, the poor, the marginalized, and the disadvantaged. And in that respect, a game changer it certainly is. Dr. Chatterjee, in what ways is Indian CSR different from the CSR from developed countries like Europe or USA? Well, it is different in quite clearly fundamental ways. First of all, Europe and the USA it is not mandatory and I don't think they will ever want to make it into a law. And I can understand because they are developed countries. 
So to a large extent, the kind of uh, social sanction that CSR would have in India and other developing countries would be less so in Europe and the USA. There, when they look at uh, CSR, they try to link it to the way the company functions, to its commercial interests, to the way they want to reach out uh, to their customers. And in many ways, it is fairly commercial. Mm -hmm. That is number one. Number two, the reporting on CSR is very different, very diverse, and also not very transparent. So their whole approach to CSR is not consistent, It is not completely scientific. It is not available to that extent in the public domain either. Mm -hmm. Some confuse it with sustainability. Some make it inclusive. Some do it for their own personnel, for their own staff, their own employees. And what they do for their employees, they flaunt it as CSR. Those things you can't do in India. In India, we are very, very clear that it is a spending law And therefore, what you have spent, you must put out in the public domain. Number two, you must not do it for your own employees or for your own company. It has to be for society. These things make it fundamentally different from the way CSR is perceived in Europe or the USA. So can we frame it in a way that for developed countries, it's more like a voluntary activity and for India, it's a mandate. That's how I can differentiate between them. Yes, that is the bottom line. Mm -hmm. That is very much the bottom line. Yeah. Dr. Chatterjee, while choosing projects or initiatives, what are some critical questions companies should ask themselves before maybe making any investment which leads to social impact? Well, the most critical questions would be the following. First of all, it has to be whatever activity they choose in CSR must be a project. This is the first fundamental question to be answered. Is it a project or not? And by project, we mean, does it have a start date and an end date? Is there a specific budget for the project? Is there a specific time frame? Is the documentation for the project being done in detail? Are there timelines? Is the project being monitored at regular intervals? And at the end of the project, is there a objective evaluation of what has been done to check the outputs as well as the outcomes? This is question one. Question two is, who is actually doing the project at the ground level? Have they chosen the implementation partner carefully? Is the implementation partner actually doing the project on the ground, at the grassroots? Is it being done effectively? And finally, at the company level in which the allocations are made, are they getting value for the money that is being spent? Are the people who are the targets of the project, are they really benefiting? These are the critical questions that must be asked for any CSR activity. And maybe six years after CSR has become mandatory in India, what it has really achieved? Maybe if you need to tell us some important points, then what would it be? 
Well, straight away, I could uh, come to three or four points. One is that companies now have a very real opportunity to contribute to their own nation's development. This is number one. Number two, they have had the opportunity to add value to their brand names, to enhance the way that society looks at them. And society, I mean the stakeholders, the uh, shareholders, their own employees, and everybody across the entire spectrum. That is number two. Number three, corporates have now acquired some expertise in how to make CSR projects effective and really outcome-oriented. That's number three. Number four, that initial trust deficit between corporates and the implementing agencies who are normally civil society organizations, that trust deficit is really beginning to close. Mm-hmm. And the fourth, which is equally critically important, is that corporate mindsets have now been exposed to the way that civil society and NGOs see the world. And NGOs are now beginning to understand the language of the corporates, the way things are done in the private sector, the kind of efficiency that the private sector wants. And this I call the NGOization of corporates and the corporatization of NGOs. Finally, government has understood now its own role as an enabler, as a regulator, And they are far more clear now as to what the role of the government should be. These are, I think, the four or five major achievements of the CSR law. So, Dr. Chatterjee, just one question on this. How you were able to achieve this monitoring mechanism? Because doing projects is one thing, but how you monitor the progress of project or implementation, that also becomes an important task of overall CSR activity. Absolutely, Vaishali, absolutely. And this, the law, leads to the individual corporate entity. Mm-hmm. It is, after all, the corporate entity which is spending the money they are allocating the money so it is for them to track how it is being spent now some of the good companies have developed very strong mis management information systems which are it enabled and as a result of this they get fortnightly or monthly reports on what is actually going on in the field This they also buttress and supplement with field visits in order to interact with the beneficiaries, see that their money is going to the right place. And this feedback goes all the way to the top, that is the CSR committee of the board. And therefore, the tracking and the monitoring has become more and more robust with each passing year. And Dr. Chatterjee, what is the relationship between CSR and sustainability? And according to you, do they coexist together? Yes, indeed they do. Uh, You must remember, Vaishali, the point that when we drafted the legislation, uh, which was way back in 2012, there were no SDGs. 
True. At that yes. time, we only had the MDPs. Yes. And therefore, a large part of Schedule 7, which lists the activities of CSR, was based on what the MDG said at that time. Now, what is happening is that with this new high-level committee that's been set up here by the government of India, the CSR law, and particularly Schedule 7, is being linked more and more to the SDGs as they have now developed. And therefore, the synergy between the CSR law and the SDGs are getting more and more concretized. But even at an intellectual level, what are SDGs for? For ensuring a better quality of life for the human being on the planet and for the longevity of the planet itself. And therefore, CSR has pretty much the same objectives. You will find in Schedule 7 that virtually all the issues addressed in the SDGs are very much there. And with every other day, we are adding items to the Schedule 7 as well. So in my opinion, SDGs and the CSR law in India are very strongly synchronized. So, Dr. Chatterjee, with this, can we see maybe CSR 2.0 coming in the near future? Yes, and the launching year is 2019. Oh, CSR 2 is in fact happening as we speak because the recommendations of the high-level committee are already before the Ministry of Corporate Affairs. Mm -hmm. And the first part of their recommendations has just been converted into law hardly 10 days back. Okay. And uh, the the law and the rules are being strengthened in line with the recommendations of the high-level committee. So you might say that CSR 2 starts from the year 2019, Mm -hmm. five years after CSR 1. And it is also maybe including some of the learnings from the initial CSR uh, provision phase. Absolutely. Actually, a five-year review was undertaken and then the high-level committee was set up and their recommendations are based on the experience of the first five years. As per the analysis of some CSR report for the year 1415, we read that some of the region in India are overserved with CSR projects while some are underserved of CSR interventions. How can we bridge this gap? Maybe is it included in CSR 2.0? Yes, that is one of the major findings and you are absolutely right. When we analyze the result of the first five years, we see that states like Maharashtra, Gujarat, Tamil Nadu have been better served by CSR. Mm -hmm. Whereas the really difficult districts and states of our country, particularly in central India and northeast India, have not been adequately served. And therefore, the Niti Aayog, as the erstwhile planning commission is now known, Mm -hmm. has requested that the aspirational districts, which are the really most backward districts of our country, the CSR funding should go as far as possible to these uh, difficult districts. And that is, in fact, one of the items that the high-level committee has recommended for CSR 2. 
And my last question, Dr. Chatterjee, as the father of CSR in India, what would be your advice to the CSR leaders in India and investors overall? Yes, Vaishali. I think I need to give the message after five years of the law. And the message would be principally this, that CSR leaders, number one, thank you for the humongous amount of mindset change that you have led. I respect and understand that this has been a difficult task, but we see across some of the best corporates in India that CSR leadership has been a responsible leadership, has been an innovative leadership, has been a mind-changing leadership. And I want you to continue your CSR activities in that spirit of bringing in efficiency, bringing in innovation, bringing in quickness of response in order to ensure that your company and a small part of its profits are used efficiently and used well for the benefit of those of our society who have not been privileged, who are crying out for help, and who, if given a push at the right time, can move from their present state of poverty and marginalization, come out of it and join the mainstream of our great nation. That is for CSR leaders. Mm -hmm. And for investors, those who are putting their money into CSR, to see that not as a commercial investment, but to see it as an investment for the future of our nation for the future of the company, its image, its bandwidth, and for the good that they can do to their fellow countrymen and women. That is my message to leaders and to investors. Thank you so much, Dr. Chatterjee, for sharing your insights view and specifically about Indian CSR and how the future will look like. Thank you so much. Thank you, Vaishali. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you. All the very best. Thank you. That's it from this episode from Sustainability. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, ideas, questions or any suggestions for our next guest, please email them to us. If you like our episode, we will be happy to see you subscribe, rate and review our podcast. Till then, happy Sustainability.